0: Lionshare Bookkeeping believes the key to generating wealth is understanding where it comes from and where it needs to go. They provide bookkeeping and financial coaching exclusively to real estate investors, focusing on cash flow, strategy, and action. Go to lionsharebookkeeping.com/apartments forward to connect with them now.
1: We have individual team members that will come to us and say, "Hey, I found a deal that looks like this is one we would buy." Everything else we're operating and we've been able to secure deals that way too. We have we have it's not just one acquisition guy going out there or looking for something. We have a whole team of people that are out there keeping their eyes open to see what looks like
0: something we would operate. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host Whitney Sewell. We are back again today with our guest Dave Kadera. I hope you listened to yesterday's show. We're going to dive into many things today that I. I enjoyed talking about, you know, how is he prepared for that recession? Uh, How does he know that he's prepared when he's buying these projects? From having enough cash to the type of strategies or advantages multifamily offers, pros, cons. You're going to hear lots of things that they look at when buying multifamily so they know they are prepared and why it's so beneficial at the moment for them. Dave, welcome back to the show. Honored to dive in further with you. I want to encourage the listeners to go back and listen to yesterday's show where Dave dove into how he got started as a senior in high school buying real estate. Incredible story. And we want to think about that as I am a father, right? And I'm raising my children. I want them to think about being an entrepreneur. They don't have to be, but hey, if I can help them, uh, encourage them to think about real estate early on, I hope they follow Dave's footsteps, (laughs) you know? and think about buying some rentals when they're young and learning this business. So I encourage you to go back and listen to that episode. And we're going to dive further into, man, the investment risks and strategies across multifamily and dive into some other aspects of Dave's business and why he did get into some other asset classes. Because I think it's very interesting and a very good point, or even just a smart business move, I think, that they did. And So Dave, welcome back. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Whitney. Excited to talk more and go through just more of the opportunities that are out there right now. Well, let's dive into the the key considerations around, you know, investing in multifamily that you all are considering thinking about right now. What what does that look like? I think, you know, when we're looking at buying multifamily or any of the deals that we've bought
1: in that space, there's a lot of talk of just, you know, right now there's a shortage in supply and, you know, we're going to, it makes it sound like multifamily as a whole has so much room to grow, but it's really, it's way more focused and localized than that. I mean, Texas and Florida are excellent markets overall for population growth, which is key to having demand. But if you look at apartment deals as a whole, they're not, it's not equal in every state. And a lot of things we focused on when buying those is we want to know not the five mile radius, but we want to know like the one block radius of what is this, what are the potential opportunities of this asset? An example of that would be, we bought some townhome deals that are directly across the street from an elementary school. It's like, they do move schools, right? But for the most part, this is a heavily populated area. That school's not going anywhere. And it's easy to rent the townhomes simply because they are right across the street from the school. Kind of matches up with the age and the demographic of people that have little kids or probably in a more townhome starter home as they're growing. So we look for rental opportunities that fit a very specific case on where it is. Not just, hey, this five mile area because of a census report looks like it has a good median income. That's not going to do it when we're making investment decisions. We,
0: we want to see exactly what's happening on what the surrounding area is. Speak to how you stay connected with those local areas like that or have that much knowledge. Obviously, you all are buying in you know, lots of different states and different cities, uh, localities now. Or you know, maybe it's the deal that's presented to you, then you dive into that space. How did your team then find those things that you're talking about? A lot of it is being out there and driving
1: these areas so you know exactly what things are. And then our relationships and, and brokerage relationships that we have and team members, they'll look at a deal just like that, like kind of this mid-size residential. It could be any kind of residential, right? Apartments versus townhomes or something even more creative. But they'll be like, wow, this looks like a green leaf deal. It's right next to some of these core, like, core retail, core shopping schools, and it's smaller. It's kind of tucked away here. It's not the most prominent thing on the street. It's like, that looks like a deal we would do. So kind of everyone across the board in our company knows what that looks like. And with a footprint of people out there operating, we have individual team members that will come to us and say, hey, I found a deal that looks like this is one we would buy. Everything else we're operating. And we've been able to secure deals that way too. We have, have, it's not just one acquisition guy going out there looking for something. We have a whole team of people that are out there keeping their eyes open to see what looks like something we would operate.
0: Yeah, it does take a team of people. To say the least, right? What about you know just historical data that you all consider or look at? You know, just to show that hey, multifamily is the top asset class. We've always just looked at population growth. If people are going to need a place to live, that sounds like a very
1: basic way of of looking at it. But we're trying to be in areas where there's high population growth, and then that way we don't have to be necessarily the leader or the absolute best at something. If you have flat population growth, someone's going to come in and build something new. And now you've got to compete with whatever's next and best. But if you have a growing population area and you have an affordable product, there's going to be demand. Now that demand and prices of that's going to go up and down. You've got to be prepared. It's not always just, it just doesn't always just go up forever,
0: but you're at least in an area with population growth. So you know, you've got to kind of influx of people all the time. Speak to, you know, even pros and cons of multifamily that maybe whether we're active or passive that we should be considering that you all keep in mind.
1: I think one thing right now that when you have to think about when with inflation kind of where it is, and I know they're going to try and bring it back under control and they've already you know, pushed rates a good amount to do that. But when you look at multifamily, for the most part, you have rental rates that renew every year. Now, and there's been a lot of news like, hey, rental rates are up 10 or 15 or 20% because rates renew every year. Uh, commercial assets, they could be five years before you have a renewal. But hotels on the other side, They get to reset their rates every day. So I don't think there has been a lot of news about hotel rates have doubled. Well, they can raise the rates every single day. And it's seen as a, it's not like a stable home that you're there. If you want to go to the hotel or don't want to go to the hotel, they're raising their rates. So I think multifamily, you're kind of in that middle ground of, you've got 8, 9% of your leases that are probably turning every month. And you can stay up to date with where the trends are with inflation or what rates needs to be. In your market, you don't have to do it all at once like hotels, and you don't have to wait five years in the commercial space. So, I think you're in a good middle ground with multifamily, purely
0: on that inflation and that that rate increase hedge. No doubt about it. I've thought about that a little bit as we think about our units and what the rents are, and we can fluctuate rents daily as far as new leases, right? As far as what rents are, but you are locked in for a year. But it's not like being locked in for five or ten years like some retail stores and so what about even moving into 2023 and just advantages you see of being a multifamily investor as we head into 23 and maybe what you expect 23 to be for for Greenleaf? I think the beginning of the year is going
1: to be a little bit slow on finding opportunities. It's kind of things stable out with higher debt. But one of the core things we've always done as a company is we don't do floating rate debt and we don't really do interest only. So we're normally doing loans that out of the gates are already more expensive because we're paying principal. So we've been comfortable for a long time with a higher cost of debt. And that's you know continuing right now. So I think that's going to scare some people away. I've been like, wow, my debt cost is now double. It's like, well, when I look at a lot of our loans where we have a 20-year amortization and we're already paying principal, it's like our debt costs are already pretty high. So we're able to put that into deals and be comfortable with it. So I think that'll help us for opportunities that come up in 2023. So as long as you're in the game, there's always opportunities out there. It's just finding them. It's gotten more and more challenging, really over the past three, four years to find deals that Pencil in multifamily. So saying it's going to be harder, it's like, okay, well, it's been pretty hard compared to 2011 when they were trying to give away apartment buildings. So <laughs> it's kind of steadily gotten harder and harder over the years to find find a good deal. That's probably going to continue in 2023. And, And there'll be some challenges, but as long as you're in it and you're
0: operating, you'll be able to find what those, you know, what those opportunities are. Yeah. You talked about, I loved what you said. I was writing that down. As long as you're in the game, there's always deals out there. And I just think too, you have to be in the game to even know when a deal is a deal, right? So, you know, a lot of people will get out and say, nope, I'm not buying anything for a long time. Well, that's fine. But you're not going to know when a deal is a deal unless I feel like you're just continually in there. Like you're talking about, are you all going to be continually buying or maybe selling or just holding or how do you see that over the next year as we anticipate a recession? Yeah, I mean, most of our residential stuff is hold. Now, we have a good
1: operating team. So we're pretty, pretty content with holding and realizing our distributions. If you think about recession, or you think about those challenges, it's important to have reserves and not just a little bit of not like, oh, I got a couple extra thousand dollars in the bank. It's like multifamily. You look at the cost of turnovers, taxes, insurance, like you better have some pretty substantial reserves. When we look at ours, we've got, typically we have a year of taxes, insurance, and then operating costs as well. So you have a pretty good reserve balance that you kind of have to maintain through good times and bad. When things are good, you're like, hey, maybe I should distribute all these reserves. It's like, you need them. So holding onto those, and making sure you have them in your asset will only help it perform over the time, whether there's ups or downs.
0: Love that. I I love asking that question. I'm sure the listeners know that now. I always say, hey, how do you prepare for a downturn? Or, you know, if somebody brings up reserves, like, we always ask, well, how do you know you got enough reserves? Because people always ask me that, you know, it's like, well, how do you calculate your reserves? And I hear it just all over the place, right? And from guests and from different people in the industry. And it might be. You know, well, we'll have a month up front, and then we'll start taking it out of cash flow. Or we might have three months up front, and I'm like, oh boy, you know, I just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the math can get pretty, you know, oh. it's like
1: all over the place. But you know, in my world too, like we have we have a good amount of investors, so we have to have a consistent message, or else it's too hard to say, hey, this deal we did this, this deal we're doing it some other way. So our reserve strategy across the board is the same. We look at all of our assets and that way it's easy to communicate to investors or really anyone else and say like, look, this is how we do it. And it's just consistent. So we, you know, in our world, we do three months of all operating costs, a year of taxes, a year of insurance, and any CapEx coming up in the next two years. So you take all those and add it together. That's our reserve plan. And we do that on every deal that we have. So if we're below that, that means we're not going to distribute. It doesn't matter how much revenue or profit that deal made. We're not at our reserve
0: threshold. We're not going to make a distribution. If there we are go. above it, then we will distribute. Love that. As you said a year of operating costs as well, or was it less for operating, but a year for taxes and insurance, and two yep. years, two years for any capex. Two years of capex.
1: Okay. So anything that's anything that you know is planned over the next two years, if you're phasing out some HVAC units, if you've got parking lot repairs that have to be done, curbing, any of that any of that kind of stuff, I feel like you need to be sitting on. On that position and be able to pull the trigger when something goes really wrong in one of those situations and you have an inconvenience for tenants, that's when you run the risk of losing those tenants. If you're not able to fix an HVAC or you're not able to make a gate repair timely, they'll be like, what's going on with this company?
0: They can't afford to fix the gate and they're going to leave. You know, speak to, you know, I would imagine that. So I love your philosophy around reserves. And I've talked about it so many times on the show. I know the listeners are probably tired of hearing me talk about it, but I just, man, no cash, you crash, right? You got to have some reserves. And, and so I, you know, I feel like you're probably as conservative or have larger reserves than about anybody that I've talked to. And so I love that. But how do you speak to someone that says, well, Dave, you know, we can get by with six months and we could do more deals that way? Or, we could do this deal over here, but, you know, we can't get to that year. We, we can only get to, you know, we only have, you know, six months is enough, right? You know, so just, you know, because I get combated about that all the time. So I just wonder like how you voice that back to maybe even employees or investors or anybody that says, hey, we could do more deals if you just ease up on that reserve a little bit.
1: For me, it's a little bit of, you know, you're speaking out of both sides when I look at them, like, <laughs> I want to go do all the deals that we can possibly do. By other standpoint, If we lose a bunch of deals because we've made bad decisions going forward, I don't get to do any deals ever again. So I think you got to look at it long term. And yeah, we're going to just from how we look at deals we would buy just because of our reserves, how I do debt. I mean, I want to have principal paying debt. It already precludes me from doing a bunch of deals that I will have to pass on just because of the self-restraint that we build into our business. And... It's worked. We've we've been in business now for 14 years. I'd love to see another 14 years. So I think that that a little bit of self-control, it goes a long way to having a long-term business versus uh firing away on all cylinders and kind of crash and burn st- style.
0: No doubt about it. Love that. And I'll share just a brief story because uh, I've shared it a few times on the show, but a deal we closed in March of 2020. This deal, we had a, it was a large CapEx, a, you know, large renovation, 200, over 200 units. And, and we had a million and a half dollars in a reserve budget outside of CapEx, outside, you know, outside of, opera, you know, just other things. Yep. I mean, this was just like a reserve budget. And we were scrutinized a little bit. There were other operators that were investing with us as well in that deal that I know very well. And, and they were like, Whitney, don't you think, you know, don't you think you could... You know, this this would increase the investors' returns a little bit, you know, if you you know, had a little less in reserves, you know, because that's that's just kind of too much. And and I said, No, we're all gonna sleep a lot better, you know. I just I just just want to have that much in there. And so I went through that. And then it was the next week that they shut the country down, you know, for the COVID stuff. And and you know everybody's happy that that's in there. But we were all sleeping okay, right? Like I'm like, no, we can weather a massive storm here, you know, because we you know, nobody knew what to expect at that time. But uh, anyway, so we were so grateful yeah. that we just stuck our guns and said, nope, <laughs> this is what's best. And we're going to we're gonna hold our ground here. So I love your philosophy on the reserves, Dave. And, you know, what about... Yeah, yeah anything else on that before we move on?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you have the capital in a deal, you have the ability to make decisions. If you don't have right. the capital in a deal, you might be forced into bad decisions because you don't have any other options. Right. And you kind of got you're low on reserves. Now you got to make this bad decision. Now you're deferring this. And and that's how you end up with distressed assets. So I don't, no one wants to see that, see that happen. Oh, really? You don't want to be in an investment opportunity that, that, that does happen to it, but you can avoid a lot of that
0: and provide yourselves with, with options as long as you have the cash available. That's right. So well said. you also mentioned there, actually, we talked about a little bit in the last segment about getting into different asset classes and I was noticing on your website, you know, you will have quite a bit of multifamily, but then you also have a few restaurants or maybe a few dollar generals, different things like that. Speak to it, you know, getting into those asset classes, why you would do that. Is that still part of the focus or the plan? How did you, you know, how do you get that, yeah. to, you know, fit that into your all's plan? And we fit it
1: in patiently, right? So a lot of times if, if I'm driving around and you see like, hey, this looks neat, this looks neat, this looks neat. And your team's like, wait a minute here. Like I thought, you know, we stay staying focused. But on the other side of that, a lot of the deals we bought outside of multifamily started because they were right down the street from a multifamily deal we had. So it was it was kind of a natural progression of, you know, one multifamily deal we had on, on a street here in Atlanta, a restaurant. When we don't operate the restaurant or we don't we don't own the restaurant business. But the piece of real estate came up and it was right down the street from an apartment deal that that we owned. And we're on this road all the time. So we know the area, we know that it's a good Property and it, it was vacant at the time, so we purchased that what is now a restaurant because it was right next to. We were already there the whole time, so a little bit riskier. It's not you know it wasn't something that we were necessarily had a distinct skill set in, but we did know the area very well. We knew we were getting at a great deal, and we were able to lease that. And now there's an operating, operator in there. They operate the restaurant. They're they're doing very well. That's kind of the commercial asset they were able to get right down the street from one of our apartment buildings. So we we have a lot of now commercial assets that are really just, they're down the street from apartments that we had and they look pretty similar. So it was something that we could operate. And we knew about them just because we were in that specific
0: area. It wasn't 200 miles away in a different city. So you all are managing anything that's outside of multifamily, you all are managing as well. Correct. Yeah. Yeah,
1: so we have two teams now. We have a commercial team and a residential team and they work together you know we have the same kind of support team around that for accounting and insurance and, and capex work but mainly because we are buying one and two story brick buildings they're all pretty similar they're in the same locations so we can operate those collectively with the team that we have yeah that's awesome
0: well, yeah, I, do, I just wanted to highlight that to the listeners. I know we'd talked about staying so focused, but I love that you all said, you know what, this is, we're already in this area. We know this area well. Here's an opportunity. You all went after it, uh, you know, after these opportunities that were close by other assets that you already had. Well, Dave, you know, is there anything else, uh, you know, around our discussion today you want to mention before we close out this segment? No, I think when you're looking at just other
1: opportunities that are out there, I think you just got to stay focused on the the area that you're in. To me, it's like, as long as you can operate and see how something is working, you can get more comfortable with that, with that investment decision, whether you're the general partner in it or if you're one of the limited partners coming in. And we frequently have limited partners that are local and they're, you know, this is their passive investment. It's not passive for me and my company. We're very much active in it, but they want to be able to come and see their investment dollars at work they want to be come and see how things are happening so i'd encourage people to invite invite your investors out to the deal show them show them what you're doing we think about you know, our strategy with our business is really like a triangle of relationships so we have our investors on one side we have our tenants and residents and then we have our team and the more things we can do that that really bring those three pieces together on a piece of real estate the more comfortable everyone can be with it and really just the more transparent it is. I think that's what probably everyone wants in life is transparency. Whether you're a resident, you know, whether you're a tenant, whether you're an investor, you want to know how things are being done. How are those decisions being made? And as transparent as you can be with with anyone, I think that'll just make that relationship
0: better and ultimately make your investment perform better as well. Communication is key, right? Yeah, almost in any relationship. It's so important. And that transparency, man, about what's happening. Yeah, it doesn't matter if it's it's tenants or investors, like you said. Dave, so grateful for your transparency today and just sharing even how you all are branched out outside of multifamily and why, but then also your thought process behind reserves. And I love that and just how you laid that out. And I think that's helpful for the listeners who are active investors or passive to hear as well as they're looking at deals to invest in passively or as they're looking at buying deals, right? You know, how how much reserve should I have? What's, you know, what should I be thinking through? Should I stand my ground on that? And then just even some of the advantages, disadvantages, pros, cons about multifamily, as we think about that, you know, coming into the recession, you know, into a recession in, in this over this next year or so. Grateful again for your time today. I want to encourage the listeners to stick around. He's going to be back tomorrow. We're going to dive back in. Dave, thank you so much. Tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you. Greenleafmanagement.com is our website. And you can find me and our
1: whole team on there, or you can find me on LinkedIn, just at Dave Codray.
0: Thank you for being with us again today. I hope that you have learned a lot from the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe. I hope you're telling your friends about the Real Estate Syndication Show and how they can also build wealth in real estate. You can also go to lifebridgecapital.com and start investing today.